This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Welcome to Democracy Matters, the podcast of the James Madison Center for Civic Engagement at James Madison University. I'm your co-host, Kara Ongwe-Lee. I'm Jacqueline Dilburn, Communication Specialist at JMU Civic. And I'm Angelina Clapp, the Graduate Assistant. And we have a very special guest joining us today. Hi, I'm uh, Officer Harry Dunn with the United States Capitol Police. I'm honored to be here with you all. Harry, thank you so much for spending time with us. Um, I wonder if you can start by sharing about your experiences on January 6th. I'd be happy to. Um, (laughs) Where do I start? You know, so much happened that day. And since that day, there's been so much stuff that's happened. It was a, uh, I I look at it, it was a very dark day for this country. It was a domestic terrorist attack. It was an attempt to overthrow democracy and hurt people along the way. My coworkers, the brave men and women of the U.S. Capitol Police, assisted by Metropolitan Police Department, um, I can't. I can't say enough about Metropolitan Police Department. They, uh, man, they, they saved our butts that day. They did. Um, they are heroes, and they've been getting overlooked a lot. I guess everybody's the U.S. Capitol Police, but those Metropolitan Police men, men and women, they um, fought so bravely and valiantly to save this country. Um, I just want to give them their kudos too. But also, um, so January six, it was. Uh, everybody saw what happened. I guess. Um, and I would say to the people that saw it, it is as bad as it looks, and then some. Um, mm-hmm. Everything that you saw that looked horrific, imagine that for four or five hours and multiply it by 10. It was very bad. Um, at the end of the day, we succeeded in uh, defending democracy because one of the things I'm most proud about that day is that the members of Congress went on to certify the election that night. And it wasn't just about who the election was for. That's not the issue. The issue is democracy went on. It was not interrupted. It, it was interrupted. It was paused, but it wasn't stopped. So I'm really proud about that. That happened that day. So One of the things you've noted is that you know the footage is out there for folks to see. Um, I wonder if you can describe from your perspective how well the media has done in covering what happened on January 6th and what people should know about that day that really hasn't gotten through in mainstream narratives. All medias, right wing, left wing, neutral, whatever, all have some type of bias. I won't say agenda, but I'll say bias, even though some do possess agendas. I think that for the most part, the the footage has been very accurate. Like I said, the footage that you all have seen. I will say this. Uh, I watched Michael Fanon today. He was on uh, MSNBC Morning Joe. And he said that if you didn't see what happened, you've chosen not to see what happened. Um, it is everywhere. It exists. And if you don't know or you haven't seen how bad it was, that's your choice. You chose not to, not because it wasn't available. I think what it comes down to talking about the job that the media has done and it, I think that comes with the talking points that go along with it. Um, some news outlets have shown clips of the, the, the rioters have already breached the Capitol and they're walking around celebrating and cheering and not beating anybody up. 
But if you rewind that clip 20, 30 minutes, an hour, you'll see an all-out war going on where they breached three, four, five layers of security to get to that point. Um, once you get in the Capitol, it's safe. You know, it's, there are no checkpoints inside the Capitol. Once you get inside, you're considered safe. So they breached all of the checkpoints. So that's when, when certain media outlets have shown peaceful walking around inside the Capitol and celebrating and high-fiving. Yeah, th they were. They were, but prior to that, they uh, they kicked our butts. So I think it's irresponsible of certain media stations that do that. And also, um, on the other side, there are uh, media outlets that um, just focus on the violence that day and not necessarily why. Like my, like I think that's and I think that's what the January sixth committee. I may be getting a little ahead of myself. I think that's what the January sixth committee is focused on: the why and how did this happen? We all know what happened, and like I said, if you don't know, you chose, you're choosing not to know. But the why I think is what's very important. Why and how this happened is the um, the very important parts that people need to see and the American people need to understand the why, so we can never have that happen again. So. You just brought up the January 6th committee, and I wonder if you can talk a little bit about why it is important to have a bipartisan investigation of January 6th. You know, when we talk about, the, and that's funny, we talk about, you know, bipartisan. It's so funny, one thing that I learned at the Capitol, I mean, if you have 20 members of Congress, um, 19 Republicans and one Democrat, that's considered bipartisan. <laughs> you know, I just think that's funny. Um, <laughs> It's not. <laughs> we need to change the definition of bipartisan. Um, so on this committee, you have two um, Republican members with a uh, Republican advisor and former congressman, Republican advisor, former congressman Riggleman, who's a Republican also. So I, I think it is important to, to have them on there. Now, I wish that there were more. Now, there are more people in Congress, when I say more, I mean like five more, not like a lot, um, who, Republican members who supported the, the resolution to have, hold Steve Bannon in contempt. Um, it wasn't just the Republican members on the, they did have Republican members in Congress that voted to impeach Donald Trump, um, but it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't equally bipartisan, I guess is the term. But I think it's very important that because this doesn't have anything to do with politics. Like, the, the investigation doesn't. What happened on January 6th was political, but the investigation shouldn't be political at all. It's just, oh, we were attacked, a seat of government was attacked, and we should want to get to the bottom of that. So it's troubling that not many people see it that way. I just wish there were more people that were... And you know what? I, as a police officer that's spoken out, and I, I just had like this aha moment. That's why I said it like that. You know what? Mm -hmm. uh, I just had like an aha moment. Like four police officers testified before the committee. Four have been vocal about speaking up. Hundreds and hundreds were attacked that day. I've, so does that mean only four care about what happened? So there may be other reasons to why more Congress people aren't doing or saying. I, I don't know, but it just made me, because I'm sitting here trying to understand why. 
So but me talking to my coworkers about why they haven't speaking, spoken up, um, they've shared with me some reasons. Um, and it's not because they don't think that what happened was bad. There's been a, a number of reasons why people haven't spoken up. They don't want to fear the backlash that from the public. Um, I've been uh, targeted attacks from people on the extreme right. Um, I've gotten so many threats and nasty messages via social media um, for speaking out. And uh, that's some of them. Uh, their wife or their husband doesn't want them, hey, just stop. Just We don't want you involved in that. So I don't think that they don't think that it's right. So I'm wondering if Congress people that aren't have other reasons why. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just fishing. But it's you struggle to understand why something so obvious to a person like myself becomes so tricky to navigate for just a, another person. So, Do you think uh, the events of January 6th have changed the way people view police now, especially with movements like defund the police or even... Um, what we saw last year with Black Lives Matter protests? So I think that uh, that's a good question. I, it's tricky, um, not for me, but for the, the politicians that use those talking points because, what's the term? It causes them to, uh, like, they got pie on their face now because in, in a year ago or two years ago, it's defund the police, and now it's we support the police. And on the other side, you have um, support our men and women in blue, back the blue, and now it's assault the blue. And there's, they're, they're siding with people who got arrested. They're siding with them. Like, it, it brings up a very interesting point that a lot of these politicians use talking points to score points, these back the blue, defund the police, they're, they're slogans to score political points instead of actually getting to the root cause of um, addressing the issue. So the, the police, like I said, we, we've been in a tough spot over the last couple of years. We've been in a, a very tough spot. And um, I think that is because a lot of us, we don't want to be used as political pawns, but who does? Like, who wants to be, you know, but when you have the FOP, which is the largest police union in the country, oversee, like, interject themselves in um, political races, you know, you've made yourself, you've made yourself a political pawn. If you say, I support um, Donald Trump or I support Joe Biden. Hey, the FOP supports Joe Biden. The FOP supports Donald Trump. Now, the other side can use, hey, they're supportive. So now you become part of the problem instead of trying to remain neutral. So while police officers are definitely allowed to have political views, I think that it's if you want to stay out of it, then stay out of it. But once you interject yourself, you got to deal with everything that comes with it. You can't pick and choose. So. You mentioned that only four of you have spoken out. Why did you choose to speak out? I didn't have a choice. And when I say that, it, it, I value my integrity and my desire to do right. Like that, I, I hold that so near and dear to me. It's very important for me. You know, you, hear, you see the term, if you see something, say something. You know, we live in a society where everybody wants to 
pull out their cell phone to record, but nobody wants to pull out their cell phone to call the police. And which one could do more help? Like, I have a moral obligation to speak up when something's wrong. Um, and the judge of that is myself. I can't look at myself in the mirror saying, I could have, should have done this, and I didn't. When it's all said and done, at the, end of the, at the end of my life, I'll be able to look at the mirror and I'll say, I did everything I could. And I, I, you know what, I attribute that to playing football here at JMU. Um, coaches always said, leave it all on the field. And it's so crazy, like after our last game, the last football game I ever played in at JMU, you get a little choked up. You're like, damn, if I just had one more play, you'll never play another snap. And I kind of like attribute that to life, like, once it's all said and done, you're like, damn, I, why didn't I do that? Why didn't I do that? And I didn't want that opportunity to pass by. Like, this is wrong. And I got an opportunity to say something, even if nobody else is, you know? So I found it very um, shocking, especially just sitting at home and watching um, the news come in on that day and the images of you know, among American flags, but also Confederate flags, um, specifically a Confederate flag being marched through the Capitol building, but also um, people holding and waving the thin blue line, blue, uh, blue Lives Matter flag. And I always thought it was um, striking to see that and then also hear police officers after the fact talk about their experiences that day and be so... Um, ridiculed over their own lived experiences and things like that. So I'm just wondering if you could just go over um, how it felt that day and if you had that realization that the same people who brought the thin blue line um, flag that day were the ones, you know, attacking police officers. That's a great point, and I like the way that you, you know, you led up into that the question. There's so much, and not just the thin blue line, there's so much... Everything's a talking point. You know, everything in this world is a talking point. Um, all the way up to coronavirus and, you know, this, like, the vaccine mandates, every mass mandate. Everything's a talking point. But yet, hypocrisy is something that I cannot stand. Um, blue lives matter until they disagree with what you say. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, Lauren Ingram from Fox News. And she had her famous quote about LeBron James when he was speaking out against social injustices that said, shut up and dribble. All right? Shut up and dribble. Okay. Okay. I'll shut up and dribble. Kyrie Irving does not want to take the vaccine. We support you, Kyrie. What happened to shut up and dribble? Just hypocrisy just drives me insane so with the blue lives matter thing it just you know it, blue lives matter until you disagree with what we say you know it, hypocrisy and i think that's that's the driving factor behind all of this stuff it's just hypocrisy you know i'll take it a step further the whole my body my choice all right, but yet y'all want to ban abortions, but yet it's your body, your choice when you want to get a vaccine. And I'm not advocating for one or the other. 
keeping consistent is all that I ask for. Consistency. Don't be a flake and switch it up when it fits your agenda. Keep it consistent. Keep it consistent. And like I said, I'm not trying to make a political statement here, but hypocrisy just drives me wild. And it's on all sides. It's on all sides. Like, the Democrats were defund the police, and now it's they our biggest supporters. <sighs> hypocrisy just drives me insane. And I... On all sides. It's on all sides. What do you wish the public understood about January 6th? Democracy was in danger that day. Democracy was in danger that day. Um, Because what if, like I said, those individuals succeeded in their goal to, one, stop the certification of the election, two, kidnap Nancy Pelosi, and three, hang Mike Pence. What if, how, and even just saying that, how asinine does that sound? Hanging Mike Pence was a possibility that day. Just, just process that real quick. They were there to hang Mike Pence. And they were feet away from doing it. Feet. Just, just think about that saying. How insane does that sound? Why? Because he didn't go along with the idea to decertify the election. So we're going to hang him. I mean, is this medieval England? What the, where the, what the hell, yo? It's insane to just even think about that. Like that, what? <laughs> it was that bad. And we were, we were close to, um, a new look in America, even today. We were really close to it. I'm, I, I just tip my hats to my coworkers um, for their bravery and strength and resolve that day to uh, not let it happen. So. You have been there for security for hundreds. You've been at the Capitol for hundreds of First Amendment demonstrations and protests. Yeah. What was different about January 6th than the other quote-unquote First Amendment demonstrations. I, I think one of the things about these people, these terrorists um, from January 6th, is that they were emboldened. They were emboldened. And you've heard, I'm sure people, I don't know if people have heard this term before, but it's in a couple movies, but one person's terrorist is another person's freedom fighter. So terrorists believe that they're right. They believe that they're right. These people on January 6th, they thought that they were right. And I think that's what makes them more dangerous and scarier, is that they thought that they were right. They were emboldened by lies told to them by the most powerful man in the country. They thought they were right. So, of course, they're not going to listen to us because they were emboldened by the most powerful person on the planet. Excuse me, the most powerful office the person holding the office of the most powerful person. The office, no person is greater than the office that they hold. And that could be governor, elderman, alderman, um, delegate, congressman, senator, president. No person is greater than that office. So when people start elevating a person higher than the office, we get what we got on January 6th. You talk a lot um, about accountability and how important it is to um, 
have accountability in this instance. And I know there has been a lot of charges brought against people um, and punishments for those rioters and terrorists who were there that day. Can you just talk um, about what accountability looks like to you and how not necessarily holding individuals accountable, but just the act itself? Listen, call me crazy, but I believe in democracy. I believe in it. I still believe that it's going (laughs) to somehow work, right? But what is democracy? What does democracy look like? Democracy doesn't mean you get your way all the time, right? You vote for somebody, they lose the election. That's democracy, right? Democracy doesn't mean getting your way. So I say that to say accountability, what I've been searching for. This committee, the January 6th committee, if they do this, all these investigations, and at the end of it, they report, hey, it was kind of morally wrong, but there were no laws broken. It was kind of everybody saw what happened and it wasn't a decent person or whatever. I can live with that. I can live with that. I would disagree, but you know what? I can live with that. I cannot live with not even investigating it at all. I, I, I'll be disappointed. I'll be disappointed if nothing happens from it. I'll be disappointed, sure. But I'm, I'm not going to go storm the Capitol because y'all, y'all got it wrong. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to vote the next time. I voted last time, but I'm encouraged more people to vote. <laughs> I'm encouraged more people to vote. I, I, I can accept a disagreement over the findings. I cannot accept not even acknowledging to look at what happened. So, like I said, I believe in democracy. I didn't win this time. Well, I didn't get what I wanted this time. What What do you? What concerns do you have if there is no accountability for? <laughs> the future yeah um like i said earlier the people that were there thought that they were right they thought that they were right and if this investigation turns up eh, it just got out of hand it was just some wild rioters if that's what it turns up then what's to stop them from doing it again that that's the accountability that i'm looking for um and the justice the justice Yeah, I'm speaking about January 6th and accountability, but justice also, like, we were victims that day. We got assaulted. We got beat up. An officer lost his life. We were victims of a brutal assault, and I want justice for that, too. So it's not just accountability. Yes, I want that, too, but I want justice, too. My coworkers got their ass whooped. Are still out of work. They're still. I got coworkers that are still out of work. Sergeant Gunnell, who also testified with me, he is going through surgeries to get his shoulder back in place. His foot. He still walks with a limp. You know, it, he deserved justice for that. That wasn't just a workplace injury. You know, these people assaulted us, and they need to be held accountable. And we deserve justice for that. So that's why I'm speaking up also, too, as a victim of an assault and also a concerned American citizen. What was going through your mind that day and how were you able to deal with it mentally? Survive. 
survive and go home. Um, it was scary. I was scared that day. A lot of officers were scared that day. A lot of Americans, just people watching, were scared. What is going to happen? I can only imagine people. You know, I, I, I've seen some clips, you know, but I can't imagine being watching my TV and watching what was happening. While we were inside of it, we kind of knew what was going on. But y'all had no clue. Just watching it, just seeing like, yo, what's about to happen? Is the Capitol about to burn down now? Like, what's about, what's about to happen? But being inside of it, it was, I kept saying to myself, how is this going to end? How is this going to, I had to say, how is this going to end? It, it got to the point, sometimes throughout the day, we just like, all right, I can't fight you anymore. Can, can y'all just go home? Literally, that, that, that phrase was uttered multiple times that day. Yo, just go home, please. Just get out. Congress is gone. They're not here. They're, they're gone. Can y'all just leave? I can't fight y'all. I'm a big dude. I, I like a good fight. You know, no, nah, I'm just I'm being silly. Um, but it, how is this going to end? How is this going to end? And reinforcements arrived from uh, other police agencies. Um, Virginia State Police, uh, Alexandria, Fairfax, Arlington, Prince George's County, Montgomery County Police, Maryland State Troopers. Um, we just got help. They just showed up and they helped and it ended. And you had a big sigh of relief. And then came the daunting task of processing what the hell just happened. That was the daunting task. And you're still doing it nine, ten months later. What the hell happened? We still don't know. We still don't know. And shouldn't people want to know? Uh, going off of that, what has kept you going and wanting to stay being a Capitol Police officer? I take it one step further and keep going is seeking out accountability and justice because I've started it. And I got to see it all the way through. I got to see this all the way through. I'm not letting up. Um, I got an opportunity to meet with the January 6th committee. After it's, I testified July 26th, 27th, three months ago. And um, I wanted to reach out to them and let them know I'm not letting up. Yeah, I testified, but I'm, it's not the last y'all heard of me. I'm, one, I'm holding you all accountable. Thank you for what you're doing. But keep going, I'm preaching accountability, uh, not just for the people that did the, the the attack, but for the people that are investigating. You, Congress works for the people, and people need to continue to push and hold the people that they vote for and elect elected officials. They need to hold them accountable, and that means calling, writing, and voting. Hey, you didn't do enough. I'm sorry. I like you, but sorry, we're gonna find somebody else that can do the job. Cause that's how it works in in the world, in the real world. If you're not doing it, yeah, sorry, we're gonna find somebody else that can do this job. I don't know. You just keep <laughs> just keep on just keep on pushing and fighting. Um, not in the literal sense, fighting. <laughs> Crazy, you got to clarify that nowadays, right? You know. Yeah. Next thing, you know, somebody walks, you punch you in the face. I'm fighting. <laughs> Wait a minute, dude. That's not what I meant. 
Um, you have to clarify that, though. You it's you crazy, do. right? It's crazy. I mean, but that's, you know, the sort of the civil rights movement, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's why, you know, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, right? Nonviolent was in the title, mm-hmm. right? You have um, to say it. Yep. Y- you have to be so clear that this is a nonviolent. Civil disobedience. That means, yeah, we're breaking the law, but we're going to be civil about it. It's, civil disobedience is a thing, you know? It's crazy. That wasn't civil, civil disobedience on January 6th. You, you mentioned that you testified before Congress, and one of the things that you were both vulnerable and brave about was talking about the role that racism played mm-hmm. in January 6th. And I wonder if you can talk about why it's so important to remind us about the role that racism played in the insurrection. Gotcha. That's a great question. Um, you know, if you ask 100 police officers their story from January 6th, you'll get 100 different answers, 100 different stories. No two stories were the same. Um, I've talked with some of my coworkers who happen to be black, and they shared with me stories of racism that day, being called slurs. Uh, you know, it was just being attacked with words. Um, one thing that I want to make clear, I do not think that January 6th was about racism. I do not think it was a racist attack. I do not think that. I do think that there were several racist people there. Like I said, it wasn't a, the KKK storming the Capitol, but I wouldn't be surprised if some KKK members were there. Like I, It just is what it is. Um, but with race... I, like I said, this that uh, that opens a whole nother can of worms. You could go so far about that. Like, I mean, just look at everything that's happened. Like people being scared to be taught critical race theory, and all this stuff. I, I, I don't even know what I had to figure out what it is. What is making such a big stink about this? And learning history is scaring people. Like, Jesus Christ! The civil the Civil Rights Act. The civil, excuse me. The vote equal equal voting rights act was nineteen sixty six. Seven? 1965. 65. And then there 65. Was, and then there were several. Okay. 1965. The, yeah. that, that was the all, everybody with the right to vote. 1965, right? Yeah. My father, one generation, I mean, my father was 18 years old then. So his entire life, one generation, wasn't able to vote. Like, you just think about that. Like, that's insane. We're, we're not talking two, three, four hundred years ago from slavery and all that stuff. People, oh, slavery was so long ago. My father was alive and not able to vote because he was a certain color. So like, don't, we're not so far removed from this stuff. Like, cut it out. And it, it scares people to learn history? We feel threatened by what? And, because, and then I've heard some arguments to say because people... It makes them feel bad. They should feel bad. You absolutely, if it doesn't make you feel bad, something's wrong with you. There was a, uh, like I said, it, I don't believe that January 6th was racially motivated, um, the specific event of the insurrection. But I do believe that there were a lot of racist people in there. Maybe in the grand scheme of things, if you pull back all kinds of these layers, then you'll get to the one, you know, I, maybe. But just on the surface, what I experienced, I don't think that it was based off just race. 
Harry Dunn, thank you so much for joining us today on Democracy Matters. Our final question is one that we ask of all of our guests. What would you do to strengthen democracy? What power does every person possess? Well, not everyone, I guess, with the couple, like, asterisks beside it, if you're, like, a felon and stuff like that, which we should address also. Um, vote. Hold people accountable. Don't just say, well, I don't like either one of these candidates. So figure out something. But I say, do what makes sense. Do what makes sense. Do what makes sense. Vote. That's what we got to do. We got to vote. Because that's, that's what democracy is about. The people. The con- we the people. You're part of the people, so don't just sit back and wait for somebody else to do it. You'll do it. Hi, my name is Lauren Elaine, and I am the Assistant Director of the Furious Flower Poetry Center here at James Madison University. I'm also a poet, and the poem I'll be reading today is called Ode to My Flawed Resistance. And I guess I just want to say that I'm thinking about this in this poem was like, you know, what is was an appropriate way to resist um, as a poet and as a person of color living in the United States of America. Ode to my flawed resistance. Some days I don't know what to do with my hands, brown and capable, strong and culpable. I can see the phantom blood drowning them even as I make fisted sons of them, even as I hoist them, palms assail on the mirrored L's of my arms around yet another protest I stand in the back of, hands up, don't shoot. Even as they scroll past the latest headline of another scared cop executing a black mother's child, another city falling to its knees in Syria, another woman's reputation shattering under the scrutiny of her hashtag, another criminal sworn into office. Still, even now, in this midnight, my pulse hammering my wrist like a high-speed car chase, this poem trembles into being against the barbed wire injustices of borders and bullets and ballots, against the snarl of history, its constant cut, against my own contentments, the ease of my almost American life, with its seductions of late night outrage and daytime indifference, my brown birds take wing, buffet across notebook and key, how they sound their urgent anthem, see, 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 see how they labor, lancing the page's resolute blankness, word by word, holding the only line they know. Hi, podcast listeners. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Democracy Matters. Editing and production was done by Jacqueline Dobrin, JMU Civics Communications Specialist. Randy Bednickus, Director of Digital Marketing at JMU, does the syndication for us. Our theme song is Sometimes It Shines by Pictures of the Floating World. Be sure to follow us on social media. You can tweet your questions and ideas to us at JMU Civic, and we'll address them in a future episode. You can also connect and engage with us on Facebook at JMU Civic. Learn more about the James Madison Center for Civic Engagement at James Madison University on our website at j.mu slash civic. Until next time.